Hi, I'm Lee Teschler, Executive Editor of Design World Magazine. Thanks for joining us. Today's podcast topic is thermal analysis of electronics and more specifically the accuracy of thermal analysis. I'm speaking with John Perry. He's the electronics industry manager for the mechanical analysis division of Mentor Graphics. And Mentor Graphics, of course, makes, among other things, thermal analysis software. John, thanks for joining us. First question I have for you today is about simplified mesh methods for computerized fluid dynamics. How much does a design engineer have to know about simplified mesh methods to decide what kind of analysis route to take? And I'll give you an example. Do you have to know about, for example, lattice Boltzmann methods to decide whether a mesh approach is okay for what you're doing? Okay, well, right, good question. Um, the first point, I think, is that, you know, meshless methods are not perhaps that well understood by the established CFD community. And relative to mesh-based methods, they're still quite new. Generally, they're used primarily for aerodynamics applications. Some high Mach number flows often pose a problem due to problems capturing shock in, in particle-based methods. And heat transfer has actually posed a problem, particularly in turbulent flows. Other characteristics of the flow, for example, free surfaces, the ability to handle combustion, that sort of thing, has also sort of posed a problem for, for particle-based methods. And it's not just what's going on in the fluid. If we talk about heat transfer, then you know you need to consider conduction, convection, and radiation as well. So stitching the whole thing together into a single analysis is perhaps part of the challenge. And so it's hard to see how Lattice-Boltzmann approach perhaps going to evolve to be able to predict the evolution of a film of moisture on the lens of an LED car headlight, for example, to predict that being cleared when the light is turned on. It's an inherently transient approach, the, the Lattice-Boltzmann method, so the solution actually has to be run for quite a few residence times of whatever system you're dealing with before the results stabilize. So that actually makes it much more applicable to simulating flows that are transient in nature. It does tend to require pretty massive compute resource. So you don't often find that in most design environments unless you have that or a large budget to spend on HPC resources. They're perhaps a little bit niche in terms of their, their application. But there aren't any commercial products today that include both mesh-based and meshless methods. So when you choose a product, you pretty much lock yourself into a particular approach. So yes, knowledge is needed to decide what solution to go for. Well, John, that gets me to the second question. One of the factors that is made CFD more widely used is the emergence of simplified meshing methods. How can you actually simulate something with what sounds like a more coarse mesh and still end up with a result that's accurate? Yeah, okay, there's a couple of points there. So if we talk about mesh-based methods, there, there are broadly two flavors of those, body-fitted and Cartesian-based. Now, body-fitted meshes came about in the mid-1980s with sort of wraparound grids around 2D airfoil uh, and those then got extended to 3D as computers became more powerful. And the majority of CFD is actually based still on body-fitted meshes. But that approach tends to limit it to the use in late design. And if I can sort of just explain that, when building a body-fitted mesh, you have to take care of a couple of things. First, you have to 
have to make sure that the cells are not too skewed. Otherwise, the solution can diverge. Or with less skewed cells, it can actually converge to a non-physical solution. So to be relatively free of error in the results, the mesh has to be sort of high quality everywhere. And that generally means a fine mesh. So the shape changes from one cell to the next. So the mesh has to be smooth to make sure that that is the case. Then the second thing you need to take care of is actually the mesh near the solid surfaces. This is because you need a fine enough mesh to resolve the velocity gradients through the boundary layer and down to the surface. So needless to say, most users find they can't afford the time to create a sufficiently fine and high quality mesh or wait for the simulation result except in late design when the geometry isn't changing and they can do all this work on a fixed geometry. And that's often done in industries where development times are long, like nuclear, aerospace, and to a lesser extent today, automotive, where CFD has sort of traditionally been strong. The simplified meshing methods you refer to are actually Cartesian-based methods. These are actually experiencing quite a resurgence, particularly in faster-paced industries. The Cartesian mesh cells are essentially just bricks, so there's no distortion at all. So there's no need to use additional mesh to smooth the mesh. Cells can just be concentrated where they're needed to capture the physics of the flow. But it's worth clarifying, it's only the method of creating the mesh that's simplified. The mesh itself can be very complex. Cartesian meshes can be very complex indeed. So it doesn't imply a coarse mesh. You can certainly create a coarse mesh, but because a fine mesh can be created very easily, often that means that finer meshes can be examined with the Cartesian treatment than body-fitted treatment. So conversely, refining a body-fitted mesh requires quite a lot of work on the part of the user. So often time pressures tend to limit what can be done. I see. In the same vein, you often see reference to gauging temperature rise with CFD and getting to within 10% of the value measured experimentally. Is within 10% of the experimental result a good result, an average result, or a not so good result? And does the use of simplified meshes or meshless approaches produce similar accuracies? Achievable accuracy is actually very problem dependent. If we talk about applications where the only uncertainty is the CFD itself, for example, a smooth airfoil and a free stream flow where the shape is known exactly, the accuracies you can achieve can be just a very few percent. Most engineering simulations involve other uncertainties, and actually electronics cooling, as we're on the topic of, of sort of heat transfer, as it were, electronics cooling is a great example where you know, even in the final design of the product, the thermal properties of the materials, particularly composites like printed circuit boards, the plastic encapsulant materials are just not well known. And so if you add to that uncertainties in the power consumption of components on the board and hence their heat dissipation, then 10% as a temperature rise above ambient is a pretty good result and to improve that you really have to put effort into tuning the inputs to the model based on measurements of material property data. It's also worth bearing in mind that physical experiments also include sources of uncertainty and repeatability errors so that's actually another challenge when trying to match 
CFD results to experimental results. But the whole idea of CFD really is to avoid having to do experiments on the final product. During design, there's nothing to test. And so part of the benefit of CFD is that it can eliminate the need for final prototyping. Today, CFD techniques can be expected to come pretty close to physical reality and certainly within the experimental era. But that said, as with any modeling activity, the principle is garbage in, garbage out. So to make the modeling activity safer, quite a lot of effort these days goes into improving aspects of the user experience, aimed particularly at reducing input errors. Okay, John, today it's common for engineers to work with CFD tools that are compatible with native CAD formats or individual CAD programs. But of course, different CAD programs use different algorithms to represent geometry. So that implies that the CFD tool has to be modified for each CAD system so it can interact with a particular geometry engine. And that brings up another question. Is it possible you could model the same part in two different CAD systems, run a CFD on each one, and get different results for what's supposed to be the same part? Okay, quite a lot there. There are lots of native CAD formats and several neutral formats uh, as well. And in general, if you can work directly with the native CAD geometry, it's much better to do so. That's because as well as the shape itself, the file contains parametric information about how the geometry was created. So if you have fillets and rounds as features, these can be preserved when the CAD data is brought in, and then you can modify them to see what impact they have on improving the design. And generally with a neutral file format, all you get is the shape, so you lose all of that. So if you think of the process from end to end, exporting the CAD model, simplifying it if necessary in order to overcome issues bringing it into the CFD software, then having to feed back geometry changes to the CAD system and those have to be made manually. On a design that's evolved, the CAD model was originally exported, you get an idea of just how error-prone an overall process it is. And in the case of body-fitted CFD, meshing is something of an art. So two different practitioners will create two different meshes, which, particularly if the mesh size and quality is limited by time pressures, are likely to lead to different results. And that does lead to a headache for whoever's responsible for ensuring the product creation process runs smoothly. So they and their company are the beneficiaries, really, of CAD-embedded CFD. So in our case, being CAD-embedded, we use the CAD geometry directly within the CAD system, use the CAD system to get information about it. So if you imagine that the same piece of geometry within two CAD systems, as we build the mesh, they return the same values for the areas and volumes of the cells. And so for a given set of inputs, which could be in terms of setting the mesh, just simply moving a slider bar, we'll get the same mesh and solve it with the same solver and therefore get the same result. I see. Well, John, we have time for one more question. So let me ask you, to what degree can engineers make judgments about what-if variations in CFD fluid flow and heat transfer rather than worrying about more detailed factors such as things like cell skew or boundary conditions or post-processing limitations? Okay, it, it depends on the approach being taken. With Cartesian-based CFD, there's no cell skew to worry about. And we've further improved the solution accuracy by using an immersed boundary treatment. And what that means is you don't need a fine mesh to resolve the boundary layers in the model near to surfaces. So 
so the results we get are far less grid dependent. And this really frees the user to think about their application and how to improve it. It massively reduces the need to have expertise in CFD and also makes the whole process more reliable for companies. So boundary conditions are prescribed on the CAD geometry, all of the meshing solution post-processing is all done within the CAD system that the user is familiar with, they display results in that environment, which makes it much easier then to make decisions about improving the design. And because we embed CFD in the CAD system, we take full advantage of the CAD system's abilities to deal with parametrically defined models and do parametric studies. So we support family tables, which allow spreadsheet-like views of parameters in the model, which can then just be changed at will. So the choice of CFD is really no longer about whether it can produce an accurate result. It's much more about the impact that that can have on a company's business. And what I would really say is just try it. For, for two of the major CAD systems, we've got the software available on the cloud through Mentors Virtual Lab. So any engineer can just sign up and try it for free. There are examples available in various states of preparedness from just the CAD geometry to a ready-to-solve model to ones that have already been solved. So people can just see the results within their CAD system. Okay. And with that, our time is up. John, thanks for being with us today. And thanks to our listeners for listening in. Hope to see you all next time. You're welcome.